We're continuing our series called If, uh, If, and we're talking about conditional promises of God. You know, God's love is unconditional. You cannot do something that will make God not love you. He can be disappointed. He can weep over you. He can be grieved by what's going on in your life, but he will always love you. And there's nothing, absolutely nothing you can do to cause that to change. However, God does respond to people differently depending on what they're doing. Like if you're walking by faith, God will deal with you differently than if you're walking in unbelief. If you're walking in obedience to God's word, God will deal with you differently than if you're walking in rebellion. And so we'll have different experiences with God based on how we walk through our life. And so we've been looking at conditional promises, things with ifs in them. There are 1,776 ifs in the Bible, and some of them are very, very important. Last week, we read a few verses on uh, Resurrection Sunday. Uh, We covered this from Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, now the good news is we can come after Jesus. We can follow him to the Father. He said he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so we don't need to to figure out how it all works. We just follow Jesus and we end up in glory. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. This is a very important if, because who wants to find their life, their purpose, their reason to be? You know, you can feel like you're living the wrong life, like you've somehow you got on the wrong track, and this isn't you, but you're stuck in a life that isn't yours. You want to be able to find your life, find who you are, and live that life out, because man, oh man, we got one shot at this thing. Let's take it. And what we looked at for an example was the Apostle Paul. He was Saul in, before he became a Christian, he was Saul, and he was a Pharisee. He was one of the religious elite, and he was advancing beyond people his age. He was climbing the ladder faster than anybody else. He was doing amazing, fancy things. And then he got saved, became a Christian through the miraculous power of God intervening in his life, and he gave that all up. All the things he'd studied, his connections and his network he gave up he said he considered it rubbish so that he could know Christ now Paul gave up his advancing in the religious world to serve Christ did he gain anything Paul is credited with writing 13 of the books of the New Testament He gave up being a fancy religious person to be probably the second most influential human being for Western culture that's ever lived on the planet. Jesus being first and Paul being second. He gave his life up, but he received a purposeful, meaningful life from God that was who he was truly supposed to be. So if... You want to come after Jesus. You need to deny yourself, carry your cross, set yourself aside, and he will give you to you. It's a fantastic thing. 
then we can shine the light. This week, we're going to talk about the truth will set you free. Did you, have you heard that before? The truth will set you free? Do you know Jesus said that? That's from Jesus in the book of John. So we're going to pray, and then we'll get into new material this morning. So Heavenly Father, I thank you for your holy scriptures. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Father, that you don't leave us here to wander around and just do the best we can, but you guide us by your spirit, and you guide us by your word. Lord, help us to see what you've got for us. Each one of us is dealing with different things. We're in a different place with different struggles, and we need a different touch from you. And so I pray that by your spirit, you would touch each one of us with what we need right now. Bless our time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The truth will set you free. Now, that's a wonderful little phrase, but it's taken out of context all the time because we're in the if series, so there's got to be an if in there somewhere if I'm bringing it up in the if series. The truth will set you free. There's an if in that. And so if there's an if, we need to see what that if is so that we can make sure to do the thing that the if says so that we can have the truth set us free. Because how many people need to be set free from something? Ah. So if the promise is there that we can be set free and we need the truth to set us free, we need to figure out what the if is so that we can have it. So let's look and see. John 8, 32 says this. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So it starts with then. If it starts with then, there must be an if in there too. The verse before it, don't put that up yet. We're going we're gonna to do a public opinion poll first. This is an if then. Here's the then. Then you will know the truth. Something we need to do in order to know the truth. And then if we know the truth, the truth will set us free. And so then you will know the truth. What's the, what's the if that goes before the then? Let's see if we can figure it out. And then we'll look. Because looking is like really helpful. How about this? Do you think it would be study a lot? Then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Do lots of Bible studies. Read the Bible a lot. Then you'll know the truth. Isn't that good? Good to read the Bible? Do Bible studies? That's good. You're looking at me like, that's not the answer. He's like, it's the first thing he mentioned. That can't be the answer. (laughs) How about this one? Ask a lot of different people what their opinions are and come to a consensus. And then you'll know the truth. Is Is that it? Isn't that what we do in religious circles? I mean, we truth, truth by committee. You know, like, let's figure out what to do. Just ask people whatever they all say. That's got to be right. No, that's not it. <laughs> well, good for us. It's actually in there. So let's look at verse 31 of John chapter 8 and see what Jesus says. Now, Jesus was talking to a big crowd of people. Some of the people liked him. Other ones didn't. And so he seems to be just pointing this a short little section of comments towards the people that like him. And here's what it says. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Let's read that again. If you hold to my teaching, 
you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you hold to my teachings, then you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So what does hold to mean? Hold to his teachings. Jesus says, if you hold to my teachings, you're really my disciples, then you'll know the truth. So we have to hold to the teachings to know the truth. What does that mean? Well, it it basically means if you do what I say, if you actually practice the rules that are put out, if you actually follow the teaching, then you'll know the truth. It's the same concept as James chapter 1, verse 22. James 1.22 says this, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I think this is an amazing verse because it says that listening to the word of God can bring deception. Who would have thought that? Do not merely listen to the word, but do it. Because if we just hear it, but we don't do it, if we just read it, but we don't follow it, we end up in deception. That's not where I want to be. I want to have the truth set me free. So I want to know the truth. So in order to know the truth, I've got to hold to the teachings of, of Christ. I've got to follow what he says. So Jesus is saying that unless you do these teachings, you won't know the truth. Um, now, it's sort of like, unless you've been through something, you really don't know what it's like. You know what I mean? Like, I can care about something or someone who's been through a really difficult thing that I've not been through. But I really don't know what it's like. I can empathize as best I can. I can weep with them and care about them and I can listen to the stories, but I don't know what it's like. I ran a half marathon one time. I don't know what mile 25 feels like. Some people know what that feels like, but I don't. You know, I could watch a marathon on TV and be like, well, that guy'd win if he ran faster. He should run faster. You know, but you don't understand it unless you're in there running the race and you're feeling what's going on in your body and your body is saying, stop running, you'll die. And, and you say, no, I'm going to keep going. And you don't know what that's like unless you live it out. And so Jesus is saying that if you don't live out these teachings, you won't really know what they're about. You'll just have heard words and you'll know what you're supposed to say and when you're supposed to smile and nod in church and that sort of a thing, but you won't know What's really going on unless you try to live this life? When you live the life, then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So there's a progression here that we need in order to get to free. Because that's the end, is free. I like free. I don't want bound, you know, I don't want deceived I want free. How do we get there? Here's the progression. Here, so you gotta, you gotta know what the teachings are, right? 
You got to hear them. You got to read them. So that's the Bible study part. That's the coming to church part. You know, you got to find out what is it, what's said. Then you have to do it. Because when you do it, then you'll know what's going on. And once you know what's going on, you can grab hold of freedom. But if you don't do it, you won't know. So, how many people do you think short-circuit this process? They go from reading the promise to wanting to be free. We've got to do the if part. Got to do what it says so that we can grab hold of it. Um, then you'll know the truth behind these teachings. You know, uh, <clears throat> when you start living something out, you can, you can figure out how you misunderstand what's being said. You can figure out what's involved in it. How does this actually work? You know, they're like prayer and fasting. If you want to know what fasting is, life, is like, what do you got to do? You got to fast. If you don't fast, you don't know what fasting is like, right? So what are the results of prayer and fasting? How does it change your heart and your life? Well, you don't know unless you fast. If you fast, you'll find out. You got to live the life. You got to find out what it's like. Fasting is a fantastic thing. Um, I, I do an annual fast with the Minnesota district. I used to do a monthly fast. I used to do a weekly fast when we first started the church every Thursday. Um, there's a story behind that that I won't tell you, but uh, here's the deal. Don't invite intercessors to eat Chinese food if they don't like Chinese food because then they'll start suggesting that you fast instead. And then, so I had to fast every Thursday all summer. And then uh, the first year or two of the church, I fasted the first three days of every month. And... You know, just believe in God for a good month. Let's, let's see something happen here. Now I fast once a year. Uh, go to a fasting prayer and fasting retreat. But once you start doing that, then you start to understand what it's like. How many people have opinions about fasting who have never fasted? Okay. Well, you don't know, do you? If you want to have an opinion, go ahead and do it. And find out what's going on. How many other teachings of the scriptures are there that people have opinions about, but they haven't done them? Let's look at some of those. Oh, be nice. My notes are mean. I'm a friendly guy. You know that? Here's the deal you want to be free, but you don't do. That's why you're not free. If you've heard the teachings, you don't want to do them, you're really not going to know the truth. You'll, you'll know the Sunday school answer, but you won't know how it applies to your life and how to fight through it to get to the other side. You won't know that part of the truth, so you won't be able to get to free. Too many people are not free because they won't do the teachings what are these teachings? We're just going to go over a few examples. I'm going to start with a somewhat offensive one, which is always super good. So that'll be helpful. But it's a perfect example uh, of what this means and how the progression works. So we're going to talk about tithing. 
We're going to talk about tithes and offerings from Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. This is Old Testament, and we're going to look at something amazing that God says through the prophet to the nation. It's incredible because it ties in to exactly what Jesus says with regards to if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So let's go to Malachi 3, 6. The Lord, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of, Je- of Jacob, are not destroyed. This is God loves you, whatever you do. If he didn't, he would wipe us out. Hallelujah for the love of God. Amen. He's very patient with us. We do dumb things. He doesn't just wipe us out. That's what he's saying to the nation of Israel. I don't change. You are the, you are the chosen people, so I'm not going to kill you. Very nice. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you. How applicable is this written 2,500 years ago to us today? We're, the United States is in this place. The church of Western culture is in this place. Ever since the time of your forefathers, it's been generations. You've turned away from my decrees and haven't kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask How are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? So God is saying, you've left me. You don't even know you've left. You're stealing from me. You don't even know you're stealing. You're missing out. You don't even know you're missing out. How do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Is under a curse a good thing? No. Have you ever felt financially under a curse? Would financially free be better? Okay, so let's let's keep looking at this. Verse 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Let's go back to verse 10. God says, test me in this and see. He says, you might have an opinion. You might think this or that. Why don't you live it out and find out the truth? Because if you live it out, you'll be able to see what happens and it won't be theory. It won't be armchair quarterbacking. It'll be actual quarterbacking. It'll be actually living out the precepts of God. I started tithing 16 years ago because I had to because it was required if you got your credentials with the Assemblies of God, you have to tithe uh, of non-ministry income to the church and ministry income to the district. 
And it was in the bylaws, and so I'm like, all right, whatever. I, I want to be a preacher man, so I'll, I'll tithe. So I did. And it, it you know, I, that's not exactly the greatest reason, is it? No, a little shaky? A little shaky? But guess what? I've been able to do it, so now I know some things about it. I know God will provide. I know that doors have opened for me that otherwise wouldn't have opened. I know that I can say to God, hey, I've submitted to you my financial world. You help me now. And I've done that. We called God on that for Christmas the first year we were here. Because, you know, in church planting, you don't have any money. And so uh, my wife loves Christmas because she grew up in one of those, you know, super awesome. She's an awesome person. She loves Christmas. I got the look. I got the look. If you, if you ever get the look, just stop. That's what you do. Just... Praise God. God is good. All the time. All the time, God is good. And look at your wife before you say things. Very important. Very important. I should tell you this story about a wedding I did one time. And she looked at me very, very angry and panicked. But that's another time. So she loves Christmas. My wife loves Christmas. She loves to give gifts. She just thinks it's great. She watches other people give gifts. It's more fun for her than it is to get something, which is great, you know, considering my personality. And so uh, it's, it's, it's a very wonderful thing. And so it was going to be time for Christmas. It's a couple months before Christmas. And uh, we had a little bit of unexpected things come up. And she says, we don't have anything. We got nothing. We got, we're, 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 we, if, you know, we're going to have to put groceries on a credit card. If we want to have Christmas, we can't have Christmas. And, you know, we can get little things. And I said, you know what? We're tithing. We're in God's will. We're sacrificing for him. Let's have a family meeting. Called a family meeting. And I said, in front of the children, which scared my wife again, you know. She gave me the look, but it was not, not as bad as this one I just got. It wasn't that bad. But... Uh, Got, got that like, are you sure about this? I'm like, I'm sure, let's go. And so we called a family meeting and we said, hey, here we are. We're in the middle of God's will. We've submitted our financial life to the Lord. We got nothing for Christmas. We're going to believe God for $1,000 to come in from unknown sources so we can have Christmas. And she's like, you named a number. What are you thinking? What if it doesn't work? And so then every time something would come in that was unexpected, we'd be like, look. Here it's coming. And by the time we were done, it was, we, got, we got a side of beef and like 800 and some dollars. We got 1,200 $1, total worth of stuff. Yeah. Over 1,000 cash plus the beef? Yeah. The Lord knows my heart or my stomach, I guess. But, um, but boy, if you're just doing theology, you don't learn those lessons. That you can stand in faith knowing, hey, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Test me in this. See if I won't help you out. See if I won't take care of you. Test me in this, says the Lord. If we don't live it out, we don't find out what the truth is. I don't know people that have gone from not tithing to tithing and have then gone back. I'm sure there are people like that. 
I asked my wife, do you know anybody who's gone from not tithing to tithing and then gone back to not tithing? She's like, no, I don't know anybody like that. People stay there, and they stay there for a reason. It's because you learned something, and you want to keep it. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Let's look at another teaching from John chapter 13, the Gospel of John. Chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus is speaking at the Last Supper. He's washed the disciples' feet. He's going to be arrested later that night. And here is something he says to his disciples. He says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Go ahead and put 34 up there and just leave that up there. Now, I love the idea, the mentality of everybody needs to have a personal relationship with Jesus. You need to have a a personal relationship with Jesus. But here's the deal. It's not that you have a personal relationship with Jesus and everybody else can go fly a kite. Is that, yes, I do have a real connection with God, but that real connection with God brings me into fellowship with other people. It brings me into a group of people. And so church can't be people showing up to enjoy a service and then go home and everybody else can just deal with their lives. You know, whatever. It's not like going to Walmart where you're, you're not concerned about the other people. You know, In church, we are called to be part of a brotherhood, part of a family. We are called to love one another. And when we start to do that, we start to learn something. Because at first you think, oh, this is a hassle. I got enough of my own problems. I don't want to have to deal with other people and listen to them and what I, you know, and I, all these different things. You know, people in our culture were isolated. But guess what? When you start to enter into that brotherhood, when you start to enter into that family and you start to make those connections and you start to realize there are people that will be with me in the good times and be with me in the hard times and I'm not alone in this world anymore because I love people and they love me. You get to grab a hold of something better than showing up for services from time to time. It's something way more powerful and it's the way of God that we love one another. And there's a truth we'll get to know when we love one another that we can't know by doing theology. What's it like to walk through this life not alone? Oh, hallelujah, to be set free from being alone. How many people have 500 likes on their post and whatever, and they're alone? Oh, to not be alone to love one another, and to be able to enter into that fellowship. That's a blessing. That's fantastic. That's phenomenal. We got to stick it out. We got to engage. Let's do 
John 15, 5 through 8. See how this is going? We got the progression. Hear the truth. Do the truth. Then you get to know the truth. And you get free. Hear, do, know, free. That's the progression. Let's apply it to John chapter 15, verses 5 through 8. John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I just love that verse. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. I don't like that verse at all. Look at that. Let's not. People ask me all kinds of theological questions. Let's just not find out. Let's remain in him. Let's not find out what happens when we disengage. Let's just stay in the presence of God. Because I don't want to know what this thrown away withers been put in the fire. That's, that's not good. Verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. Wow. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Put verse 5 up and just leave that one up there as we talk through this. If you stay connected with Jesus, then good things will come. If you remain in me, he'll bear much fruit. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, preaching is a scary thing. You know... The thing about it is, is my job is to represent the truth of God to people and try to communicate it effectively. That's a scary thing because you're, you, you get misunderstood, you're heard wrong, you might even say something wrong so they hear you right and it's off, you know. It's a very, it's a big deal thing. It's a huge responsibility. And so I used to be very, very scared Did I tell you guys, I used to pray protection over the congregation. I think it was about eight years of, I'd pray protection over the congregation. You know, Lord, if anything is said that's not of your will, let people just miss it and not hear it. You know, but let them get something good. You know, that's sort of a deal. I prayed protection because I'm like, I don't, what if I goof something up? I'm a person. I've made lots of mistakes in my life. I might make another one. You never know. And so what if I do it when I'm speaking? You know, like, oh, that's scary. I found out apart from the Lord, I can do nothing. Because I'd cry out to God, God, give me something to say. These people need to hear something from you. They, they, they're all in, they got different needs. They need something. And God would be like, tell them this. I mean, not, not in an audible voice, but all of a sudden in my heart, I'd have this thing to say. And I'd be like, yeah. And I'd preach the sermon. People were like, yeah. And I'd be like, I'm getting this, man. I can do this. And then I would do it on my own. And it would not go so well. And here's this, this is Pastor Mike trying to be cute and talk, you know, whoop de doo and, no, and then it would be a, a flop, and I'd be like, no, God, you're going to help me. And then he would, and it would go well. And so I'm on this roller coaster, you know? It was a disaster. So I'm going in and out, in and out, and I found out over the years, I finally figured out, if God calls you to do something, he'll equip you to do it. Just stay connected with him and depend on him, and it's all going to work out fine. 
And it's not about me learning the skill. It's about me learning to stay connected and to abide in the vine. You abide in the vine, you don't have to have all this anxiety about whether or not God's going to bail you out because he will. Hallelujah. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If we want to serve the Lord, we need to grab hold of it. But guess what? He's not going to leave us or forsake us. If we do stay connected with him, we'll bear much fruit and it'll be something that'll bring glory to God. Hallelujah. So if we want to know what it means to bear fruit for the kingdom, we need to abide in the vine. When we abide in the vine, meaning stay connected with Jesus, be doing your daily devotions, be coming to church. When it's worship time, worship God. Don't just think, well, I wish they'd sing a song I knew better. Yeah, just try to connect with God. If you don't know the song, just pray. Spend time trying to connect with God and abide in the vine. You know, uh, those are the sorts of things we need to do in order to abide in the vine. Don't all of a sudden, now it's been six months and you haven't connected with the Lord. That's dangerous. We worship, we pray, we study, we obey. Then we know something. We know how to bear fruit by abiding in the vine. We know the difference between going on our own and going in the empowerment of God. It's a good thing to get to know.